One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Psalm 81.10. Some of you might be familiar with it. The psalmist says, speaking for the Lord, I, the Lord, am your God. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. How many of you know this, this psalm? Oh, you need to know this psalm. You definitely need to know this psalm. I, the Lord, am your God. And this is a challenge from God to His people. Open your mouth. Open your mouth. And I will fill it. This is what we've been talking about in Hebrews 11. The men and women of Hebrews 11, they opened their mouths wide. And they lived a huge life for the glory of God. I love this verse. I love this invitation. This is an invitation from God to simply receive what He desires to give. And I love the life implications. The life implications of this verse. It reminds me, not only as a believer, but as a pastor particularly, but really for every true Christian, it reminds me never to believe small. So let me ask you, are you believing small? (laughs) It reminds me never to believe small, pray small, think small, plan small, dream small. We're Christians. We're sons and daughters of the King. God says, I am the Lord. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. George Mueller. How many of you know this this name? George Mueller. How many of you know the story? Okay, some of you. Not many. There's, By the way, the book table's free. So, yeah. If you see something over there, we'd love for you to take it and read it. Don't take it if you're not going to read it. But if you plan on reading it, please take it. You can have it. There's a couple of George Mueller biographies over there. George Mueller loved this verse as well. December 5th, 1835, he wrote in his journal, these are his words, This Scripture came alive to me today. He's talking about Psalm 81.10. I was led to apply it to the orphan house and ask the Lord for a building, 1,000 pounds, and suitable individuals to take care of the children. For those of you who don't know, during Mueller's lifetime, the Lord used him to provide uh, for over 10,000 orphans. 10,000 orphans in Mueller's lifetime. Mueller was a man of prayer and faith. He never asked a man for a penny. He simply prayed it down from God. Okay? He never solicited. He never did fundraising. But at any one time, he might have 2,500 mouths to feed on any particular day. He just cried out to the Lord. Listen to his journal entry. His journal entry... February 8, 1842. Listen to what he says. February 8, 1842. The morning. There's enough food in all the houses for the meals of today, but we've not been able yet to buy any bread and there's not enough money to buy milk tomorrow morning. Coal is also needed in two houses. Indeed, as far as I know, we were never in greater poverty. But I am fully assured that the Lord will not leave us. This is what he writes in the evening, same day his evening entry into his journal. The Lord has not yet sent us what is needed for tomorrow. Before 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, we need more money to be able to buy milk. Truly, we are poorer than ever. Listen, and this is what I want you... Hey, if you don't hear me say anything else, I don't want you to forget his words into his journal. Listen to this. 
Mueller writes, Through grace, my eyes do not look at the meager supplies and the empty purse, but to the riches of the Lord only. Beloved, this is faith. This is biblical faith. Don't you love that? Through grace, my eyes do not see the meager supplies nor the empty purse, but I look at the riches of my God. I love that uh, journal entry by Mueller. Mueller did not dislike those lean times. As Christians, the Lord sometimes takes us through times of prosperity, sometimes through lean times. We're still supposed to praise the Lord. We're still supposed to worship, whether it's blessing or trial, whether it's, it's uh, plenty or, or lean. We worship the Lord, right? God's people worship Him in, uh, in good circumstance and difficult circumstance. The circumstance doesn't matter. He's still God. We worship Him. We've been talking a lot about that. He didn't dislike these times, these lean times, because it tried his faith and he, f- he fell all the more fully upon the Lord. Some of you could give testimony. In the hard spot, in the lean spot, you fall on God like you never have fallen on God before. And I love this. Mueller talks much about this. Mueller says in the lean time, I am intimately aware of how God is upholding me and sustaining me in the ministry. Mueller and his orphan survived every day for one reason, one reason only. God's faithful. Amen? God's faithful. God is a promise-keeping God. As most of you know, one of my favorite names for the God of the Bible is Jehovah Jireh. What does it mean? Yes, Susan. Very good. You know, most of, we know it, most of us know it uh, by the phrase, the Lord will provide, which is an excellent translation. But my favorite translation, Susan just said, the Lord will see to it. Don't you love that? Your God will see to it. I love that. I love that about Him. <laughs> He'll accomplish all His good pleasure in heaven and earth. He's the sovereign God. No one can stay His hand in heaven and in earth. He does all that He pleases, as the psalmist says. Our God is God. He's the see to it God. Mueller knew that. Mueller knew that. Not only did Mueller know it intellectually, You know what he did? He lived it, beloved. He lived it. That's what we've been talking about in Hebrews 11. Mueller lived his faith. He lived the fact that his God was a see-to-it God. He just lived it out. He lived it out. Mueller believed Jehovah Jireh's promise. And then he lived it. So that's the challenge. We've been talking a lot about faith these last days in Hebrews 11. The challenge has always been, not do we intellectually assent to the fact that we should live by faith. The issue is, are you living by faith in every sphere of your life? Have you surrendered it to the Lord? Mueller opened wide and God did the rest. God fed, clothed, housed, educated, and evangelized 10,000 orphans through the prayer of George Mueller. Beloved, God delights in His children believing He is who He says He is. And God delights in the fact that we would uh, believe His promises and we would live by them. Christians aren't supposed to just sing that God is faithful like we just did. We're supposed to live it out. And unbelievers are supposed to see it in your life. Unbelievers are supposed to be questioning you. Well, why do you live like that? Well, my God's God. 
My God commands it. My God's faithful. I can be open-handed. I can give. I, I can serve. I can love. Why? Because my God fills me up. Amen? My God fills me up. I'm an endless supply because my God's an endless supply. Hebrews 11. Jehovah Jireh is utterly, completely, unfadingly, unchangeably, perfectly, absolutely, thoroughly, wholly, entirely, eternally faithful. Eternally faithful. How many of you know what the word lament means? You heard us read from the, the, the text earlier, the book of Lamentations. What does it mean? What does lament mean? It means to mourn, right? It means to mourn. I love the Hebrew meaning. The strict Hebrew meaning here is to cry aloud. And we know that Jeremiah had foretold of the coming judgment of Jerusalem because of their high-handed sin against God Almighty. And that judgment came in the form of the Babylonian army and the devastation was total. It was, it was complete. Let me just give you some words and phrases you'll, you'll, you'll read in the book of Lamentations. It gives you a sense of the book. Loneliness, widows, forced labor, bitter weeping, none to comfort, defeat, exile, affliction, harsh servitude, mourning, desolation, groaning, bitterness, terror, captivity, homelessness, calamity, faintness of heart, ruin, slaughter, death. Shockingly, right in the middle of all of this is the most famous verse about God's faithfulness in all the Bible. Don't you love that? You wouldn't expect to find it here, would you? Well, not unless you're a believer, of course. Not unless you're a lover of Jesus Christ would you expect to find it here. Jeremiah writes, he says, I am filled with bitterness. I have forgotten happiness. My strength has perished. One of the favorite things I love to say to the, to, uh, the congregation here at ICM is bad theology what? It hurts people. That's why it matters what the preacher says up here. I mean, there are a lot of false teachers and false preachers all over the world preaching junk that has very little to do with this. That's why it's your responsibility as a believer to get into a church that actually believes this and holds to this and trembles before this. There's so many who teach falsely. And beloved, bad theology will hurt your life. Bad theology. Bad theology. It hurts people. When the crisis comes, many so-called Christians, many professed Christians, they let their circumstance dictate their view of God. Oh, I hear this all the time as a pastor. Circumstance begins to dictate how they view God. Do you think that pleases the Lord? Beloved, our view of God is supposed to dictate our view of circumstance. Amen? Not the other way around. We don't start to question God because it's hard. God's still God. God's still good. God's Word is, is, is faithful and true. Beloved, we're not to live like that. We're not to let our circumstance affect the way we see God. The way we see God is to affect the way we see circumstance. That's why in the middle of this dirge, we hear these great words of Jeremiah. I mean, it's as bad as it can get for Jeremiah. And if he thinks wrongly about God, he could sink into despair and bitterness and hopelessness. Good theology, biblical theology, is a balm, 
B-A-L-M. I know my enunciation is not always good. Balm for the soul. It is balm for the heart and the mind. Biblical theology to see God correctly, knowing the truth about God, which is to say the biblical truth about God. It brings light to darkness and hope to despair and it turns sorrow into joy. There's a, there's a famous teacher in the States. She teaches women. Her name is Beth Moore. She said something one time and I, I, I really liked it. She said, you have to turn that whining and wishing into believing and receiving. <laughs> I love that. You know, we don't need to be whining and wishing. Right? Are we sons of the King? Are we daughters of the King or what? Do we believe it or not? If we're in a hard providence, oh, it's from God. What does God want to do through me and in me in this hard providence? We don't wring our hands and whine about the hard providence. We lift it up to the Lord, right? But we don't whine about it. We believe Him through it. And the unbelievers see us. Believe God through it. It's a testimony. It's evangelism, beloved. It's evangelism. Trials are evangelism. You're supposed to be evangelizing in your trial. People are supposed to see the reality and the beauty and the worth of Jesus in your life in the hard times. So let me ask you, are you thinking biblically about God? Do you believe Him and do you trust Him? Not just when you're sitting in here, but when you're out there living your life before men. I want to tell you that you can, that you should, that you must. If you pro profess to be a Christian tonight, if you wear the Christian label, if you, uh, if you claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is how God has called you to live. It's how He's called me to live. I rarely quote Bon Jovi, but every once in a while, I have to. And yeah, the song's terrible, so I'm taking, I'm taking his phrase out of the context, okay? And I'm putting it into my context, Okay? But Bon Jovi says, I want to live while I'm alive. <laughs> right? Beloved, that's God's invitation to every believer. That's God's invitation to every believer to live. Really live. Not some small, manageable, careful, conforming life that the world, you know, the world wants to push you into a box and, and conform to, to everyone else. God sets us free from the box. How many of you are still in the box? You're not supposed to be in the box. You're supposed to be out of the box. So I want to challenge you to live while you're alive a fully assured, fully persuaded Christian life. And that only comes one way, beloved. It only comes by knowing this and knowing the God who, who recorded this for us and who preserved it for us. You know, people say, well, Jim, that's, men wrote that. You know, you can't trust that. Listen, friend, if you don't think God's big enough to, to give His revelation and preserve it for His people, then I don't know what God you're thinking about. Of course God's able to give His Word. Of course God's able to preserve His Word. Every jot and tittle is perfect. It's perfect. This is the Word of God. We either believe it or we don't. We live by it or we don't. It is the Word of God. Psalm 81, I read to you verse 10b. Uh, now I'm going to read to you verses 11 and 12. This, listen to this sad reality. 
God says, but my people did not listen to my voice and did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. This brings me back to Jeremiah. Remember? Jeremiah said, I am filled with bitterness. I have forgotten happiness. My strength has perished. Three verses later, three verses later before his outward circumstance had changed, his inward circumstance began to change. Okay? Before the outward circumstance changed, he was remembering his good theology. He was remembering what his mama taught him about the God of Israel. Right? He started to recall to mind about his God. His name is Jehovah Jireh. He's a promise-keeping God. Here's what I want to say to you, and I don't want you to ever forget. Jeremiah would not let his circumstance dictate his view of God. He did the opposite, as we were talking about earlier. His circumstance didn't dictate his view of God. His view of God dictated his view of circumstance. And you heard the text read. I'll just read it again. You can't read this text enough. Jeremiah 3, 21-23. He says, I recall to my mind what my mom taught me. And it's true. I've experienced it. He is an awesome God. He says, I recall it to my mind. Therefore, I have hope in the midst of utter despair. He says, therefore I have hope because my God is God. The Lord's loving kindnesses, plural, indeed never cease. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Therefore I have hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. To the person who seeks Him. Jeremiah had said, I'm filled with bitterness. I have forgotten happiness. My strength has perished. But immediately he began to contemplate who his God is. Beloved, this is how we live. In, in, on your hardest day, when you can't cry anymore, your God is God and your God loves you. And in a few moments, we'll be with Him. Yes? Your vapor's upon the earth. You're out of here. Quickly. Soon we'll be with Him. Soon we will be with Him. So no whining. No wishing. Lots of prayer. But no whining. No wishing. Paul said the same thing. Philippians chapter 4, 12 and 13. Paul says, I can get along in any means. I know how to live in prosperity. In every, uh, it, with humble means, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having an abundance and suffering need. What's, God, what's Paul's secret? Someone tell me what his secret is. Jesus Christ. Being content in Christ. Beloved, if you're a Christian tonight, do you know you possess the most valuable thing, the most valuable per person in, in the cosmos? Do you understand that? Do you understand that God has called you to Himself and redeemed you and saved you? And that you will spend eternity with this awesome God? A billion eternities being filled up, discovering who He is? I, yeah, it's awesome. Paul says, you know, even if it's slim, even if it's lean, even if it's hard, I, I find complete heart satisfaction in Him. Circumstance doesn't matter. Only my God matters. 
Hebrews 11. Christ invaded Paul's life on the road to Damascus. And good theology invaded his life. And a lot of things changed. You know, for, for the Apostle Paul, he quit his job. God was faithful. He left his religion. God was faithful. He got a new job. Became a missionary. God was faithful. He did something that had never been done on the planet before. He started planting Christian churches. It had never been done before. It was unprecedented. God was faithful. He was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked. God was faithful. He was arrested. Stood before a king. God was faithful. He was imprisoned. God was faithful. He was ultimately martyred. God was faithful, beloved. God was faithful. Like the men and women of Hebrews 11, like Jeremiah, like Mueller, Paul did not let his circumstance dictate his view of God. He did the opposite. He let his view of God dictate how he would live through his circumstance. Again, it's your evangelism. It's your evangelism. The unbeliever is supposed to be seeing you. And I'm supposed to be seeing you. And I'm supposed to be encouraged by your faith in the Lord as you go through hard things. You're, you're supposed to encourage me and I'm supposed to encourage you. Because we fall on God, right? When it's hard, we fall on God. It's okay to fall and, and on the Lord. It's okay to weep. It's okay to mourn. All these things are, are okay. But we trust the Lord in all of them. And deep, deep down in, in the core of our being, we have an unassailable joy because Jesus is our God. Paul's life shouted as we were talking about through Hebrews 11, I love this God and my life is all about Him. That's really Christianity. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, you can say it uh, uh, 10,000 different ways, but Paul's, Paul's life was, I love this God. I love Him. And his life shouted that. And beloved, that's what your life is supposed to shout, and that's what my life is supposed to shout. It was hard, but Jeremiah said, I remember! I remember! God's God! And God's made a promise to me! And when was the last time God didn't keep a promise? That's never happened. <laughs> I'm going to share some verses with you. Some great verses. Some great verses from the Bible. Let me just stop and ask you. How many of you believe this? How many of you believe what I'm preaching? The next question is, how many of you are living it? And the last question is, if you're not living it, I have to ask you why. I have to ask you as your pastor. I have to lovingly ask you. If, you're not, if you say you believe it, why are you not living it? You know, Christianity is not academic, right? It's not theoretical. It's to be applied. It is to be lived. Listen to these great verses in the Bible about the faithfulness of God. I'm just going to go through about seven or eight. Just listen. And if you want, you know, if you, if you can't get all of them down, just go to the podcast site and you can get the sermon and you can review these uh, at your leisure. Numbers 23.19 God is not a man that He should lie, nor a son of man that He should repent. Has He said, and, I, uh, and will He not do it? Or has He spoken, and will He not make it good? Of course God will do what He says, the writer of Numbers says. Deuteronomy 7.9 Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God. 
the faithful God who keeps His promise and His loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love Him to keep His commandments. This is a Jewish way of saying God never doesn't keep a promise to the thousandth generation. It's a Jewish way of saying it's never going to happen to the thousandth generation. So, you only got 75 years probably on the planet. Max. Maybe 80. Maybe 85. You can't outlive God's faithfulness, beloved, <laughs> to the thousandth generation. You can't outlive it. You can just pin your ears back. I don't know if that translates. It just means you can go do it. You'll not outlive the faithfulness of God. Psalm 36.5 The loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Thy faithfulness reaches to the skies. This is a Jewish way of saying it's immeasurable. His faithfulness is immeasurable. It reaches to the sky. Don't you love these, these uh, Jewish ways of saying things? Psalm 89.8 O Lord God of hosts, who is like Thee, O mighty Lord, Thy faithfulness also surrounds Thee. Now wait a minute. God is omnipresent. What does it mean that His faithfulness surrounds Him? You can't get out of it. You can't get out of God's faithfulness. As hard as you try, you can't get out of God's faithfulness. It's huge. He's omnipresent. And the text says that it surrounds Him. Psalm 146, 5 and 6, My hope is in the Lord God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them who keeps faith forever. Forever. You know what forever means, right? Forever. <laughs> this is how long God's promise is good for. Isaiah 11.5 Righteousness will, will be uh, the belt about His loins. And I love this. His faithfulness, the belt around His waist. A Jewish way of saying He never goes anywhere without His faithfulness. It's His belt. God never goes where, anywhere without it. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we are faithless, He remains faithful for He cannot deny Himself. He cannot not be faithful. And the last one, Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Beloved, no one can stop Him. No thing can stop Him from keeping His promise to you. Nothing. No one. No group of people. No armies. No group of armies. No demons. No army of demons can keep God from keeping His promise to His people. It cannot happen. I love what A.W. Pink says about this famous English theologian. Listen to this. Far above all finite comprehension is the unchanging faithfulness of God. Listen. He never forgets. He never fails. He never falters. And He never forfeits His Word. Listen to this. To every promise, every prophecy, every covenant, and every threatening, He will make it good. He will make it good, beloved. He will make it good. We can do Hebrews 11 because our God is God. Because He is who He is. Jeremiah knew it. Paul knew it. Mueller knew it. The question is, do you know it? Do you know it? in such a way that it radically impacts how you live. That's what real Christianity does. It radically impacts how you live. It radically impacts every sphere of your life if it's real. 
if it's real. You can do faith because he is a see to it kind of God. Mueller's story is not about Mueller, is it? Who is it really about? <laughs> his faithful, promise keeping God. You would never have heard of Mueller if his God wasn't a promise keeper. You would have never heard his name. You would have never heard these people in Hebrews 11. You would have never heard their name except that their God is a faithful God, a promise-keeping God. Noah's story is not about Noah. Abraham and Sarah's story is not about them. Mary and Joseph's story is not about them. Peter's story. It's all about God. And I think the sooner we understand that as Christians, the more powerful we will be in the world. It is not about, I say it to you all the time, it's not about you. I know we want to make it about us. We like to build our little lives and make it all about us. It's not supposed to be about you. <laughs> it's supposed to be about someone infinitely more interesting than you and me. It's supposed to be about the Lord. So I'm going to take a few minutes tonight. I'm going to take some liberty tonight. I'm going to share with you a personal testimony. I don't often do this. I rarely do this. But I'm going to share a personal testimony with you tonight. You know, you need to know, you know, you're sitting out there, you say, well, Jim talks a good game. Well, you need to know that I've actually experienced some of this stuff. I've lived through some of this stuff. You need to know I'm not just an empty suit up here talking. So, I just want to share a personal testimony with you. Karen and I are here. We're in Milano because God's a faithful God. Because God is a promise-keeping God. I read Mueller's story back in the 80s. I was a young Christian. I was converted in 83. I probably read it in 85 or 86, and I loved it. It scared me to death. I didn't understand how a man could simply live by faith and prayer, how he could be responsible for 2,500 orphans. You know, it scared me to death, but I, I thought, that's, you know, that's the way it ought to be, kind of, sort of, for a Christian. And so I started moving in that direction. I started moving in that direction. I had an appetite for it. Beloved, that's a, great, that's a great thing. You may not be there yet, but do you have an appetite? Do you have an appetite to see God work like that in your life? I'm going to make a real long story short, okay? Do my best. In early 2003, this dead church, there were four people left, invited us to come here and replant this dead church. The head of the committee, we fl they flew us to Milan and we came and the head of the committee said, well, he was not the most positive guy. He said, I think it's impossible. This looks impossible on, on, on paper. <laughs> I said, what, are you trying to encourage me or what? He said, I think it's impossible. He said, really, I don't think you guys, maybe you ought, you ought to seriously not think about coming. You know, Karen and I were sitting at the table and we thought, this is a perfect time to obey the Lord with what, Sam? Glad, reckless joy. A perfect time. On paper, it's impossible to obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. Four people, enough money to pay us for a couple of months. We accepted the, the, uh, the invitation without hesitation. Uh, we believe the Lord was calling us to it. We knew it was a delicious opportunity for God to be mighty in our lives. And I just want to interject, you know, a lot of us don't 
experience this because we won't get out of the box. We just won't. We never venture out on the promises of God. We never take a risk on the faithfulness of God. Piper is right. It's in the book, Don't Waste Your Life. If you're a young person and you haven't read that book, you must read that book. And if you're an old person, you must read that book. It's a great book. Piper says this, The Christian life is a call to risk. Obedience will be risky. And it's always right to take that risk. This very risk is the means by which the value of Jesus is shown in your life. I love that. It's a great quote. So like Mueller, Karen and I, we, we were under the conviction we would not ask anyone for money. We, the church had challenged us, well, you're going to have to raise support to come because we can't pay you. And we decided that we wouldn't, raise, we wouldn't raise in a conventional sense. We wouldn't raise money. We wouldn't fundraise. All we did was tell people our plans. That's all we did. And we prayed. And uh, that's all we did. So, this was around early March 2003. Okay? So we began to pray for what we needed, and we began to set things in motion to leave Little Rock and come to Milan. June of that year, June 22, we had no money. September of that year, uh, Karen and I both notified our employers that we were resigning, and we began to hire our replacements. I vividly remember Saturday night, November 21, 2003, at Gadwall's Grill. Now, why do I remember that? Because I journal. How many of you journal? If you're a Christian, you need to journal because you need to go back and remember. You need to go back and remember what God did. It's so cool that I can, I can say to you, Saturday night, November 21st, 2003, I told Karen, I said, we only have 30% of what we've asked God for. But I told her, I said, don't you love it that God is making us really believe Him? He's not going to make it easy on us. We're going to have to really believe Him. We're going to have to really trust Him. God was teaching us about real faith. Theology merged with reality. So we went ahead and bought our tickets. January 10, 2004 rolled around. The Lord had given us 120% of what we asked for. 120% of what we had prayed for. March 8, 2004, we got on a plane and came to Milan. And God has been providing for us for these 96 months. Beloved, He's faithful. <laughs> He's faithful. He can be trusted. I, I'm not telling you these things because I want you to think, oh, Jim and Karen have such great faith. I, if you think that, you're wrong. What you need to be thinking is, their God is so great. He is such a great God that He can be trusted to show up and keep His promises. It's true. It's never not true. God is always faithful. God is always faithful. So I'm going to ask you one more time. Yes. Okay. When we made the decision only a few months ago okay. to come from the other building that we had no investment in to this building, right. virtually every penny we needed to move had to make the move did not come out of the money we had saved in the budget. It came from people in the United States and around the world 
that wanted to invest in this church here. And when it was all over, essentially, the money we had had for the move was still all there. Amen. That's right. And we didn't really ask or do anything. It was God putting on people's hearts. You know, it wasn't the wise, it, on paper, it wasn't the right time for ICM to get into a building. It just wasn't the right time. We're, we were lower in, in attendance than we'd ever been. We had fewer families than we'd ever had. It just wasn't, the, on paper, it was the wrong time. But it was an opportunity for glad, reckless, joy, obedience. And so, thank you, Sam. Exactly. Exactly. So, I'm going to challenge you to stop conforming to the ways of the world. I'm going to challenge you to stop living by the world's assumptions. I'm going to challenge you to stop pursuing and seeking temporal security over and above everything else. As we've been talking about in Hebrews 11, to be seeking and pursuing the Lord. I'm going to challenge you to stop being risk-averse in your walk with God. If, you, if God is clearly calling you to a thing, then you must do it. You lose if you don't do it. God doesn't lose. <laughs> you lose. You lose! You lose that God encounter that happens when you really believe and you watch Him show up. So you've got to merge that biblical theology with your reality. Many of us need to be unleashed from our small worldly dreams that we might live in accordance with the will of God. Most of you know this great text, and I'm finished. What did Jesus say in John chapter 8? If you abide in My Word, then you are truly Mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Are you free, beloved? Are you? Take inventory. Are you free to believe God? Are you free to obey God? Even if it looks risky? Are you? If you've really seen Him, you are. <laughs> if you really know Him, you are. So I want you to remember, don't let your circumstances dictate your view of God. Let your view of God dictate your view of circumstances. Mueller said it like this, Through grace my eyes do not look at the meager supplies and the empty purse, but to the riches of the Lord only. What a great, great text. This I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For His compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. God says, open up your mouth wide and I will fill it. This is the Word of God. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table tonight. We have open communion in this church, which is to say, if you have professed faith in Jesus Christ and you have followed Him in believers' baptism, then you are welcome to come to the table and celebrate what your awesome God and Savior has done in your behalf. So the way we do this is Kelvin will, will sing or play a, a song. It'll be three, three or four minutes long. You prepare your hearts during the music. You prepare your hearts. Confess your sin. Don't come to the table in an unworthy manner. If you have sin in your life, confess it. Repent. And then come and celebrate with us. 
This awesome thing God has done for us. This awesome thing He has done for us. So, as the music plays, prepare your heart. When you're ready, just come up. Take the cup. Take the bread. Go back to your seat. I'll stand and read a text. And at that time, we will partake of the elements. Okay? Everyone understand? All right.